What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey guys, welcome back to the Art of Craftsmanship podcast. My name is Dustin and I'm here again with my brother Devin uh, and my co-host Devin. (laughs) Hello, hello. Hello. Sorry guys, I'm all I'm all flustered because we have we're having technical difficulties, but we're figuring it out. And we're we're joined today by an awesome guest that I'm super excited to have with us, Clay Hayes. How you guys doing today? I'm good, man. Good. All right. All right, Devin. Let's see what you got. Let's give this a try. <laughs> Maybe stalking in the woods is as vital to the human condition as playing music or putting words to paper. Maybe hunting as much of a claim on our civilized selves as anything else. After all, the earliest forms of representational art reflect hunters and prey. While the arts were making us spiritually viable, hunting was doing the heavy lifting of not only keeping us alive, but inspiring us. To abhor hunting is to hate the place from which you came. That's akin to hating yourself in some distant, abstract way. go <clears throat> all right did you get all the <laughs> we did oh, we I got it all <laughs> yeah that was um that, that was a good one dev that was that was a long one you stuck with it and i usually yeah. struggle with this um i i love that it relates art and hunting together because that's 100 yeah. percent true the very first you know cave paintings and things were all r- reminiscent of you know hunters and and the hunted where did that um, where is that who's that whose quote is that that is steven ranella from um meat eater the adventures of uh from a life of an american hunter yeah right on clay i'm assuming you know steven ranella or you know of him oh yeah yeah definitely um yeah. i like that i like that quote that's a that's a good one yeah I, yeah, I thought so. I, I thought I'd, I'd bring that one up because Clay is the only hunter among us, not the only maybe bow shooter, but the only hunter. And that's, that's right. not because Dustin or I abhor to it, as Stephen would, would say. We just never um, – our dad hunted, but we never got around to doing it. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. We like kind of never got around to doing it. Um, you know, just – our our tracks in life our, our dad clay was he hunted um you know he'd hunt two three times a year to fill the freezer mm-hmm. with venison but other than that you know it wasn't it wasn't like a thing that we did we grew up on a farm here in maryland <clears throat> and uh and yeah and like i've always we've always been into 
you know, outdoorsy stuff. And, and, uh, I was like made bows as kids and stuff, but just never, <clears throat> never really got into it. And then, uh, you know, life takes you one way and it's just, it wasn't a part of what we needed. I, I had been interested in hunting, especially bow hunting. Um, since I started making bows probably back in 2011 or 2012, that's really when I started, um, and had, have practiced, uh, pretty regularly since then. But, you know, like I said, kind of, I think life just goes a certain way and it wasn't something that <clears throat> I guess I didn't, I mean, I never really needed to do. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, that's just where it is. But I have you I to... on the other hand, God, uh, yeah, yeah, I want to do a question real quick. First of all, if everything, if, if, if this sounds weird to everybody, we're on a totally different app. Some of us are go. from our phones, some are from computers. So we're trying to figure it out. Um, but we, we thank Clay for hanging in, hanging on in there because we've been trying to get it going for about an hour and a half. Um, yeah. <laughs> but just before I want to talk about that quote, Clay, you must get a lot of, well, I, it depends. I guess hunters are going to your channel and, and, and that type of thing. But do you get a lot of hate for that? For I guess just hunting, just providing for your family on YouTube. You know, I I don't compared to a lot of other folks. Um, mm. I, I you know anybody that puts things on YouTube, it doesn't matter what you put on there, you're gonna get you're going to get hate for it. People right, just, exactly. there's, there's people out there that just <laughs> need something to be upset about. Um, yeah. But, you know, talking to other uh, <sighs> YouTube content creators, I think I get it pretty light. Uh, mm. But I think a big part of why that is, is because I, I, when I put a hunting video up there, I really try to put that hunt in context. You know, I, I don't put, like a real shot of, of kill shots on there. You know, I don't, right. you know, I don't like glorify the kill and things like that. I like, you know, a hunt for me is, um, it's so much, so, so far beyond just killing an animal. Um, right. I mean, you've got the entire process and that's really what I try to, to show on there. Yeah. Yeah. I think <clears throat> that's one of the things that I noticed about your hunt videos as well is that, I don't know, maybe, maybe the majority of the ones that I've watched don't end up with an actual kill. Like mm-hmm. it's, this is the hunt, right? It is what it is. You capture the hunt. And if, if you, if you get an animal, then you get an animal and it's shown at the end. And if not, then it's not right. You're like, we'll come back another day. Like I just watched um, the one you posted with you and your two boys uh, and that, you know, they didn't, they didn't get hogs this time around, but that's that was still the video and i think that's also part of it i think you're you're showing that as a a natural part of being a hunter that there is that you know a significant amount of the time you're going to go out and you need to have all those times going out and finding things and working and trying and trying and then eventually you'll get the kill at the end yeah you know especially when you when you think about limiting yourself to the type of weapons that i hunt with i mean it's right there's a lot of there's a lot of time that goes into that you know um and yeah. so I, and especially with that last video with the boys, I wanted to show like that hunt that we went on, that's, that would make most grown men beg for mercy. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not an easy hunt. It's, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. And, and I wanted to show what they went through to be there um, and to get that opportunity, you know, and it, it didn't end up that they, they ended up killing anything, but that's, that's fine. You know, it wasn't, a, yeah. it's not about that. It's about having a good experience out there. Um, 
you know, in those hard times like that, they, that's, that's what builds character. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I like, sorry, I interrupted you earlier. You want to do Clay's intro. I totally jumped in there. So people know (laughs) who who we're chatting to if they don't already know. Right. So yeah, I will do that. Um, (laughs) So we, we tried, this is our second week in a row and we've gotten there and it looks like everything's working well. So I'm super, super excited to introduce our guest uh, on the podcast today. He is a boyer, so a bow maker, making traditional and uh, primitive self bows and long bows. He's a hunter, he's a fisherman, he's a bushcrafter, he's a husband and a father. And I would say for me, by far, one of my most, my top inspirations um, on videos I've watched uh, for bow building over the years. Uh, so I'm super, super happy to have you here with us today. Clay Hayes, welcome, brother. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, so um, I was I was saying uh, one of the things I noticed about your video with your boys is that you gave them that kind of preemptive, like, this is going to be a tough hunt. It's not, you know, there's, there's you're going to come out, you're going to be with a bunch of men, you, you know, there's going to, you're going to be slogging through mud and there's going to be bugs and it's not going to be fun the whole time, but the opportunity there is to, to do this experience. And then, then like throughout the entire video, they're just having a great time. Uh, is your, your younger son is Finn. Is that it? That's it. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Finn's the younger one. Um, and gotcha. then, uh, Koi's the older one. Yeah, I love it when he took the camera and he's like walking around and talking about stuff and he's out. And that was great. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. They're having a great time. You know, they're they're playing, they're shooting, they're hanging out. And then there's the storm comes and it's raining and you could tell they were, they were loving it. I, I was watching that one and I saw your son. He's walking around and he's spitting and stuff and having a good time. And I, <laughs> and I think I said it out out uh, just to myself. I said, man, this boy likes to spit. And then about a second later, he says, yeah, I like to spit. <laughs> yeah he's he's the he's the outgoing one he's the ham for sure <laughs> that was great yeah i was laughing too i like to spit i was like man that's a farm boy right there that reminds me um was it was it your was it him or your older son that was caught in the uh in the horse trainer thing <laughs> no that was the younger one that was finn he, he had his he, you know he, he had a loop on the on the lead rope down there and he had yeah. had his foot in there and was just riding it around like a carousel and i guess he <laughs> slipped off of it and then it was dragging him around on his butt <laughs> that was hilarious i like in your face you're just like the camera and you're like oh man boys raising boys on the farm he just turned it yeah. off <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> well um after all of that now we've come to the point I'd, can you tell us uh clay just a little bit about how you got into bow making how you like where did this come from in your life when did you start um what inspired you to start making traditional bows or or start shooting bows or how did that all happen i'm excited to hear this yeah yeah absolutely um so hunting and just being outside hunting fishing all of that stuff has always been just a part of who I am. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's something that I didn't have to seek out. It was just what I naturally gravitated to as a kid. Um, and, and I'd always been interested in primitive skills, native Americans, all that stuff, bushcrafting. I didn't, you know, this was in the early nineties. I didn't, there was, it, I didn't know. It wasn't called that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't called right. bushcraft. It was, 
it was just going out in the woods and doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I had tried, uh, when I was in early, I don't know, I was probably mid teens. Um, I tried to make a couple of bows unsuccessfully. I mean, I, I made some very crude ones, but right. nothing that would ever, you know, nothing you'd be confident hunting with. Right. Um, and then, uh, right about the time it must've been 98 or 99, uh, I came across a book called the traditional Bowyer's Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that book finally gave me the information that I needed to start actually down this path and start building bows. Um, and I made my first bow I, probably in 99 and I've been doing it ever since. I mean, I was just um, consumed with it. I mean, it was so, nice. I, I loved it. Um, cause I, I was good at building things. I like to create things. And then this, this bow making kind of, kind of paired that with my love of being outdoors and hunting and, and all of mm-hmm. that stuff. So it was just kind of a natural fit. Yep. <clears throat> nice. So you, um, so after, you know, you started doing that, um, did you, so you used traditional Boyer's Bible. Um, was there anybody else you were looking at or any other classes you took or, you know, did you find any online videos or other tutorials or that, or you just start just straight from the book? I just started straight from that book. I got that book and the day that it came in the mail, I walked across the Creek and I hacked a limb off of mulberry tree and I started on a bow <laughs> a couple days later. I mean, was, <laughs> yep. Um, but I, you know, the, where I grew up, uh, there wasn't a lot of people, at least at that time, there wasn't a lot of people around, uh, and there was nobody that was shooting traditional and certainly nobody that was making their own bows that I knew of, you know? Um, right. and so this was during the days of like AOL, dial up, mm. <laughs> you know, type stuff. There was no Google chat room. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so the only information I had to go on, uh, was, was what was in the book and, uh, and just going out and trying things. Um, and I, you know, we had, we didn't have like great bow wood around where I grew up. We had, um, you know, mulberry and persimmon and, and things like that. And so that's what I used because that's what was available. Right. Right. Um, so out of the two, I mean, the mulberry that I, that grows here, which is it, I'm assuming it's the same thing that like grows super fast, almost like a weed. Is that the same? Well, I don't know. There's two different, there's a red and a white mulberry. Um, and I don't, I don't know what the specifics are for each. And I, it's been so long ago. I can't remember what, <laughs> what I used. Um, right. but I do, I do remember, uh, I made a bunch of bows out of, out of persimmon, common persimmon. Um, right. and, and again, that's been so long ago. I can't remember like if it was a great bow wood or not, but I do right. remember I probably made, you know, a dozen or, or, or a dozen and a half bows wow. out of persimmon and they made, and they, you know, it, it worked fine. Um, but I, di- I didn't know enough about bow making then to know if it was a really good wood or not. And it's been so long, right. you know, I haven't made a persimmon bow in, you know, a long time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, it just reminds me of, you know, 
it's like growing up on the farm, we would make bows all the time. Same thing, just cut a branch. I mean, we were doing it just straight up a limb with a, you know, a twine from the barn <laughs> and shooting, shooting arrows. And we'd have competitions. So Devin is my younger brother. And then I have two older brothers. Um, and we all, we're all pretty close in age. So, but, um, yeah, so the, the first, the first bow that I made, uh, was out of ash, which was fine, but it was green. I had like cut it down and made the bow without any, any, no, no class, this was in, I guess, 2000 and maybe 2011 or 2012. This is the first, more recently when I, you know, got back into bow making. And, um, and it, it, I think it ended up at being maybe 25 pounds or something and, uh, and took a ton of set, obviously, cause it was green at the time. And I still have it. I have like, uh, electric tape wrapped around a crack in, the, in one of the limbs and stuff, <laughs> but, um, Perfect. yeah, just, yeah. And, and it worked, you know, it worked enough to get me interested enough. And the reason why, uh, the reason why I did it and the reason why I started, um, is that my wife actually saw an advertisement at our local like state park. That was a, uh, a five night bow making course. Um, I think it was like three or four hours once a week for five weeks in a row um, for $40. And you got, we got a hickory stave. All the tools were there to work with all the, you know, all the um, draw horses, everything was there. We, all we had to do was show up for $40 and we came away with hickory bow. So Devin and my two older brothers, Derek and drew and my buddy, Sean, another buddy of ours, we all took the class and, it's like same thing. It had that aspect of uh, teaching me something that was so connected to being outside that that's what drew me into it. Like this is, there's something so great about that, that connection between being a person who makes things and then making something that you can use. I think that was the same thing that, that I was drawn to with like knife making. Same, same idea. Also, I was going to say, I like, we had, we got lucky that there was a, uh, a state park near us that was doing this and a guy who was interested in it. But I like the old school approach of just getting one book and then getting into a hobby. Cause I got, I've, I've talked about it before. I've been looking into timber framing. So I've been searching a thousand videos and I got, I got one book that I thought would be good, but the idea of just reading that one book and tackling, trying to build a structure seems so uh, a daunting, but that's how, that's how people used to do it. Yeah. Well, it was, <clears throat> you know, I don't know. I, I think it was, it could be a little bit of an advantage because you're not overwhelmed with so much different stuff. I mean, there's so much information out there in these days. Right. Um, you right. know, when I started, I had the, it's like boat building is awesome because you can go, if you have access to some woods, it's free. All you need is, yep. I mean, you can make a bow with a hatchet. It doesn't cost mm -hmm. anything. And so, um, you know, I just go, I just went and, and, and sawed a branch off a tree and started going. And that bow, I, I shot it probably five times before it broke. And then I went and started making another one. <laughs> <laughs> now you're right. Cause it's definitely overwhelming. Cause it's like, these people think it's this way and this forum thinks it should be this way. And I watched two different videos that say 
you know, this tool isn't any good or this one's you do. You get overwhelmed quickly. I think sometimes you just need one single direction. You just got to you just got to jump in and get started um, Mm -hmm. and and just kind of figure once you get started, then things start to kind of fall into place and things start to make sense a little bit. But uh, I, I think that kind of sometimes I get a lot of questions through email and, 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 you know, uh, YouTube comments and stuff like that. And it seems yeah. to me that there's a lot of people that hesitate to get into bow building because they don't, ha- they, they think they don't have everything figured out. And I, <laughs> you're not going to have everything. Hell, I've been building bows right. for 20 years. I still don't have everything figured out. <laughs> right. just got to jump in there. Yeah. I, I think that that's like you said, like I was saying, that's kind of what I did with that, that piece of ash. I, you know, we, we knew that the class was coming up and my buddy Sean and I were like, well, let's, let's just try. So we like went out in the woods, cut down a, you know, maybe a a eight inch diameter, maybe seven inch diameter ash tree, a small sapling that was kind of in amongst a bunch of other stuff and, uh, and split it in half and made our bows out of it. But it was like basically no knowledge. I mean, I, I, I'm sure I looked up an image of maybe the, the way to create a bow, you know, it was like a handle and you have fade outs and then you have your flat limbs so that it worked. But then, you know, taking the class, which we did with Hickory. uh, And then after that, I, I'm not exactly sure why I got into Osage. Maybe it was just my knowledge that Osage has been a bow wood that's been used by native Americans and in this country for so long. And there's the, like the you and the Osage debate. Um, but I went on YouTube and I found your videos of making Osage bows. And uh, that's how I got started. It was like your video. And then there was maybe one video that I saw from like Dave Canterbury making an Osage bow. Um, but other than that, I mean, you had everything I was looking for. It was like the chasing, the growth ring, the crunchiness of the different growth rings and how to feel those and pull it away as you're chasing the growth ring. And then just walking Mm -hmm. through that whole process. And that was, that was awesome. So uh, it's just like, ever since then, I mean, I've gone back to that video a couple of times. I think the only other thing at the other time was a a video of uh, Ed Scott talking about bow making. So it was like, those are my three at the time. Um, But yeah, it's, it's it's just crazy, but I like I like what you said. It's you just got to get started, and and you know I I fortunately I had access to Osage where I was living at the time, which my in laws um, over in Virginia. So they had right across the street from them there was an orchard and some other property, and then they had this little kind of gully area down near the creek, and on both sides of it there was just three hundred yards by maybe a hundred yards of land that was. 700 Osage trees mm. all just down there all growing, you know, like they do all crazy. But then there was some, you know, I was able to pull out pieces and I still have stock left over from, from them when they still live there. But uh, yeah, it was just that, you know, like you said, that same thing, go out in the woods, pull a branch and start from there. You got to start somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. You were, you were very fortunate to have that, have access to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I still have some of those, around which is great because you know i think at the time before i realized what i had and before i was pulling stock i was looking for um you know looking for bow wood and stuff looking for stock and going online and finding different things um so speaking of that all good also all your staves were from uh down in virginia dust yes yep <clears throat> yeah so i probably have 
probably have like, I don't know, maybe a dozen more, you know, just split out in raw form. <laughs> um, well, hopefully, so, hopefully we don't, hopefully we don't make a dozen more bow videos because we'll never <laughs> get anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Clay, we talk, we talk a lot about how for me, it's so nervous. I'm so nervous shooting the videos with him because it's one of those things that if you get all the way to the end and it breaks on the video, <laughs> I mean, it, it's kind of funny, but it's like you've made a demonstration about how to make a shitty bow. So <laughs> it's like we have to reshoot everything, and that little you breaking it just has to be a funny bit in the beginning. But that's like six days of filming down the drain. So hopefully we don't make – I don't know. We'll, we'll try to make like maybe one a year, but oh, it's brutal. <laughs> That's the thing. That that's the thing. I do these classes uh, where where people come and they they you know they spend three days here making a bow, and it's like, you know, if you're gonna break it, it's, you're gonna break it on day three. It's uh, yeah. that's when that's when you start that's when you start bending it. <laughs> Devin, you should tell them your story about that about our class. Oh yeah, no, our, our class. I think I did. I, I, uh, I, it was probably day three or something like that, and I was getting confident about it. And in my head, I'm like, this is going to be the strongest bow ever. It's going to be like 100 pounds. Let me just start <laughs> bending it so much. I just kept pushing and pushing and trying to string it. And sure enough, I broke it. It was not nearly close enough to really to put that type of stress on it. And I, I broke mine. But luckily, I I think it was I had like two more classes. And I was able, since I had already done it once, to catch up and actually finish mine. But, yeah, my first one definitely cracked. <laughs> yeah, it's – um. I don't know. I usually, when I have, when I have folks come in for classes, I, I have, I let them start, you know, in a raw stave and, and take it through the whole process. But if something happens uh, late in the, in the process, I have, you know, just set to the side, I have different staves and different stages of completion. And so they can, you know, if they, if they happen to do something like that, they can just pick up one of those other staves that are uh, kind of, in the same uh, stage of completion as the one that they were working on, and then just take that one through the rest of the process. That's right. nice. Yeah, yeah, our my the, the uh, forty five dollar government class didn't have that. <laughs> well, it did have another save for you though. <laughs> yeah, that that's a you got a bow building class with somebody that halfway knew what they were talking about for forty bucks. You're doing really good. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It was definitely. Uh, one of those things that I don't know if, uh, if he does it anymore, he moved, he went to a different like Baltimore County park. Um, and I don't think he still hosts it, but I know when we took the class, there was at least, there was one other guy there at least that was taking it again. He was like, oh, I've taken it four years in a row. It was like, why not? You know, <laughs> like if you're going to yeah. learn from someone and, 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 uh, Ranger Kirk, who we learned from, he's the one who actually, uh, he donated, he and the Baltimore County Parks and Rec donated the two hickory staves that we had most recently for our hickory bow video on our channel. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, so, um, I have, so I have some questions from you and then we reached out to the audience because we, we tried to, tried to uh, record last week. And so funny enough, let me tell you a quick story, Clay. <clears throat> So last week, um, for everyone who's listening, uh, we tried to record with Clay last week and it didn't work out. There were some technical difficulties. So we were like, okay, we'll postpone until next week. 
So Devin and I just started recording basically then. We're like, all right, we'll just talk about what we've been doing for the week and we'll just do have a, just a quick episode. So we, we start recording. Um, we're maybe 25 minutes in or something and the recording just stops. Like I lose my internet connection. So I, I run my internet from my phone as well on my computer and like no internet connection. I can't get my phone to start internet again. Um, fortunately I have a hotspot here at the house that I use. That's actually supplied from Baltimore city public schools, which I teach at. So if they're listening, sorry, I used your internet, <laughs> but fortunately I was able to pop back on and like, completely unaware my internet on my phone just stopped i thought there was like some conspiracy that at&t decided not to like supply me with internet anymore um and so we joined back in with our other internet and then after the podcast uh i went out you know finished up finished talking to Devin, walked out in the living room and i said to my wife i was like are you having any internet problems on your phone because my phone is just has stopped i've got no internet um, and this was probably 40 minutes after it had stopped. And, and she goes, Oh, uh, I have a early Valentine's day gift for you. And this was last Thursday or Wednesday, whatever it was when we were recording. And she gave me a new, a new iPhone. <laughs> She's like, here's your new iPhone. And I got, you know, it, it was all set up new plan, everything. I didn't have to do anything. So she was like, went to the store and got all the new ones and they set up, set it all up and basically just stopped my, the, the plan for my old phone. So that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. so I was, I was like was, all stressed was she, out. <clears throat> was she going to wait until Valentine's day? No, no, no. I mean, cause obviously I, I don't think she knew that would happen, but I also, yeah. she was, she, she had come home. Like I, we were, we were recording when she got home, she got home, she had wrapped both of them and she was going to give them to, myself and my daughter who is 11 and <clears throat> so she's to the age now where we'll occasionally leave her at home by herself for an extended amount of time for one reason or another so we don't have a landline at our house so we wanted her to have a phone <clears throat> but i was like man and so sure enough like after we're done i texted Devin and i was like it's a good thing we didn't have clay on because i would have lost him and then i would have to start back up and it, we wouldn't have any way to contact each other and and then, of course, this week, this week was even worse. So, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah. We put him through through it twice instead of once. <laughs> and you hung in there. I can't. I can't thank you enough. <clears throat> All right. Well, um, so I have a couple questions. Um, things that I've I've thought about over the years, um, and some just some stuff, you know, based off of like the, your different videos and stuff. Um, <clears throat> First of all, um, what is um, your favorite bow making wood? I'm assuming it's Osage, but I don't know. My favorite bow wood is whatever you can get your hands on. Um, I mean, is if you if you have if you're lucky and you have your choice then absolutely Osage is, is king of bow woods, in my opinion. I mean, it's tough. It's it's rock hard. It's durable. You can use it as a pry bar if you wanted to. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and you is, is great. You is great too, but it's ex, it's very expensive. It grows. It's, it's got a very limited distribution. It's hard to get right. your hands on. Um, but the reason I say whatever you can get your hands on is because when you – when you first start building bows, you just need to build bows. 
You, right. you don't need to worry about getting the a fast bow or the best bow. You just need to make bows because you're going to, you know, you're not, you're, you're going to learn something with every one that you make. Um, and I get questions all the time from people, guys that are, that, that, you know, they're wanting to make their first bow and they're wanting to know where they can get an Osage stave right. or where they can buy an Osage <laughs> stave. And I'm like, so here's the deal. You know, you, and I, I do not say this to discourage anyone, but you're going to pay a hundred dollars for that stave and you're probably going to mess it up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So go out into the woods, cut a, a hickory sapling or an ash sapling or a whatever you can find, make something out of that, make, make a dozen bows out of that stuff. And yeah. then once you start to get things figured out, then you can, th- then you can think about maybe getting something, you know, that's going to cost some money. Right. Right. I feel like, I feel like Dustin runs into the same thing. People, well, not even that you hear like people want to start out making knives. Like, Hey, how can I make a Damascus knife? Yeah. Exactly. Why don't you start on a circular saw blade or some, some old files first? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I think also, I mean, obviously, like you said, you don't want to discourage people. They can, they can do whatever they want and it depends on how they, how, how well they feel they can do it or not. Um, but I think, yeah, just having that opportunity to start with an, an easier wood or something that you, again, you could put your hands on that. You're not going to worry about ruining it. I think that's yeah. the key. That's the thing. It's like it's, so many, and that's, it is hard to start. You have to start somewhere, but you got to get over that hurdle of knowing that, I think that's uh, we've talked about this a little bit before in the podcast, but saying like when you've made a few, then you have that confidence of like, Oh, I'm just, let me just play around. Let me just try this because I know that I already have in the back of my head, I've made a few and it's going to work. Or if this one doesn't work, the next one will work because I've already done some that have worked. Um, But that's a hard thing as a maker to get, to get over that hurdle, to have those first few. And I think that's where it is key to, to make a couple that, might end up being shitty. They might not hold uh, the draw. I mean, they may they <clears throat> they may have like you know string follow. They they may have a set to them, but you've you understand how the the wood works, and also that each piece of wood is going to be different. Um, yeah, I was just watching one of your videos on uh, on tuning a bow, and you're talking about how you know you had one bow that the arrow was shooting straight through. You know, the way the handle was the in the string, it lined up so you could shoot your arrow straight through the middle of the bow. And then you had the second bow that, that you had to have the archer's paradox, the like flex of the arrow around the shaft. So each bow is going to be different. So it's really not going to matter how well the bow is or, it you know, what it's made out of or how good it is. It's really about how you're going to tune that specific bow to shoot well with it. Yeah, I mean, once you get into once you get into actually trying to be accurate with the bows, there's you know there's a whole another world of of tuning the arrows to the bow. Um, but as far yeah, as got- just making bows, I mean, you just you just got to get in there and make some. And yeah. even if you don't have access <laughs> to, if you can't go and cut your own bow wood, you know, you can go to the hardware store and pick up a maple hard maple board one by two or a red oak one by two and start right there, start making wood bows with that. Um, you know, they, they make decent bows. They don't make great bows, but it's a way to get started. Um, and 
you know, I always tell people that bow building, you know, I've been building bows for over 20 years and I still learn something about bows when I, when I try something different, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's a journey. It's, and it's about the learning. It's about that. That's the fun part to me is there's always something to try. You know, you you never, it's like, you never master that truly, you know, you never know everything there is to know about bow making because there's always something out there to, to, to try. Yeah, you and and your 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 first bow, no no matter how good it is to see that first arrow fly, will be just as exciting as when you make your hundredth bow and you see something else. You learn something else new. Absolutely, I still, I mean, (laughs) 1999. I still remember that first bow that I made because it was such. I mean, it was just it was awesome. Um, that first bow that I made that actually would shoot an arrow, you know, more than 20 feet. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it is it, when you make something like that, that, um, you, you make, you make, you're making your own tools. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. There's something so satisfying about that. I, I often get comments where people are talking about, or they made their first or their second knives or whatever it is. And, like there's just something super satisfying about making something that's then your own tool. You've made your own tool, which then can on top of that, make all sorts of other tools or it can do something else for you. Right. That's the idea that the tool yeah. is now you're, you can use this tool to do something else. And there's, yeah, there's nothing, nothing much like that. I think. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so let's see another, another question I have is about, um, about Osage, about snaky bows. So for those of you guys who are listening, uh, a snaky bow is, is an, when you have a bow, you follow the grain of the wood. So if the wood kind of moves back and forth and it's not just running straight down your bow stave, then you want to follow the grain. My question about that is <clears throat> how, um, I would say, how important is that to, uh, to Osage to make um, I don't know the quality. Like, so if, if I'm not following the grain of the bow and obviously it's not cutting it all the way across in the, in the, my entire back, if I'm just kind of making it generally straight, what's, is there a difference in how those type of bows would be form, perform just kind of like a generally straight bow, as opposed to a, a bow that's then also followed the grain of the, uh, of the wood. Yeah. So, so if you're talking self bows, so, and I'm going to define a self bow as, as a, a, just a piece of wood that does not have any kind of other additional material on the back of the bow. And for those, uh, for, for your listeners that don't, aren't into archery and bow building and all that stuff, the back of the bow is the part of the bow that faces away from you when you're holding and shooting it. And so that's the part of the bow that's under tension as it's being drawn. Right. Um, yeah. And so for, for wood bows, if you have a tree that has grain in it, that doesn't run straight up and down that tree. And if you took that thing and ran it through a bandsaw mill and just cut out a two by four out of it, you know, and made a bow out of that, um, that grain would run across your limb Mm -hmm. and where those, where the end of that grain comes off the side of the limb, that's going to create a weak spot um, for a self bow. And that's something right. that, you know, again, that's that bow that doesn't have anything on the back to support or, or, or protect those end grains. 
that's going to give it a, a weak spot to come apart. Um, and so for a self bow, you want to follow that grain. You want to split. What I always do is split them. I split them with an ax and wedges. And when yep. you do it that way, it just naturally follows the grain. And some of the bows that I've made, you know, they, they look like, you know, meandering creeks almost, um, <laughs> just the way that, the way that grain kind of flows through that wood and the bow limb follows that, uh, follows that grain perfectly. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, so, so I guess that would, it would be term be determined by if you're going to back the bow or not. So if you, if you had a stave that say the grain was kind of snaking back and forth and then it snaked off to one direction. And so if you were going to split it out, it wouldn't, it would maybe, I don't know, maybe you just don't even use those staves or use those, those limbs. You don't even cut them down. The ones that look like they twist that far. Cause that's the thing I always kind of see when I see people using snaky bows, you know, they, they still end up tapering out to the tips. Um, but then they, you know, relatively you'll get like the tips still in line. Yeah. So the, the, the thing with Osage, Osage is very, um, like it, uh, it does well with heat. And so mm-hmm. I was just working on a bow earlier today that had almost 90 degrees twist um, in the stave wow. from one end to the other. And that doesn't, uh-huh. it with Osage, all you have to do is take a heat gun and heat that wood up and it just turns into like a wet spaghetti noodle when you, mm-hmm. t- when you heat that stuff up and you can twist that thing back into alignment. Um, and the same with, you know, if you have a, if you have grain that kind of runs off to one side, you know, I always follow that even though it may not be in line with the bow. And then once I get the bow kind of roughed out a little bit, I'll just heat heat it up and and bend it back into alignment. And once that wood cools, it's um, it sets in that same bend that you uh, that you bend it over into. Yeah, that's <clears throat> that's so fascinating to me. And if you guys want to see the listeners, if you want to see that happen, actually in our in our Osage bow build, um, <clears throat> I did that, and I've seen that in yours as well. But I uh, I kind of I heated up a, a a portion of the limb and actually used some oil on the limb, heated it up, and put a weight on one side. And you could just watch it as I was heating. You can just watch it moving down, moving down. You know, we put a ruler next to it, and you can just see the movement. It moves so fast. You know, once it's warm, it just it just moves down and puts into place and <clears throat> those bows that I made have, have held up really well. Um, <clears throat> I want, so I want to jump in, I want to jump in real quick, ask a question about clay. When you're making your hunting videos, do you think it's a advantage or disadvantage that you're, you're the shooter and, and the filmmaker? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Because I, yeah, I, my, my, my original thought was that it's got to be tough. You got to set it up and hope the animal stays where you want it to stay so you can stalk it and still be in frame. But also watching something like Stephen Ranello or Meat Eater, he's always like having this big crew can't help. Got all these extra people, all this extra smell. Uh, so I, I don't know which one would be better. I think – I don't know. It depends on, I don't know how in depth you guys want to get into filmmaking and all that stuff, but it really depends on what you're after. Um, like if you're after, if you're trying to produce like a high production quality, you know, film, like, um, you gotta have, you gotta have a cameraman or 
you just got to take about 10 times longer to set the camera up and do all this stuff and, you know, right. set the camera up and walk away from it, then come back and get it and then reset it up and walk right. to it. And, yeah. um, but as far as like the moment that an animal is around, I mean, with a, with a traditional bow, you're talking about, you, you get, you're within 25 yards. Mm-hmm. It's a lot right. easier you know, it's a lot easier if you're by yourself, but then on the other hand, you don't get as good a video or most likely you're not going to get as good a video. Sometimes you get lucky and I've gotten, I mean, I've, I've got some, I've been very lucky uh, to get some good stuff on film totally by myself. Um, But it's not, it is not easy to do. Mm. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I figure, I figure someone that, uh, hunting with a rifle it doesn't matter as much because you can be hundreds of yards away and uh not spook the game but um you're so that's close a completely I mean, different ball game yeah that's a completely right, right. totally different then ball you could, game you could, you could have a camera guy on the shooter a camera guy shooting the animal and then you could set it up that way but but being that close and and your video is like the pig hunt with your sons where you had it on you and then you'd set it up or your or one of your sons would have it. That worked great. It still it still felt um the tension was was there and the excitement was there. It's a different style of filmmaking, like you said. It's definitely more YouTube style, but it still works in making at least for me, I, I felt the tension of it. Yeah. Yeah, I I've always been are you guys familiar with uh, – do, do you guys fish much? Yeah. Yeah, I mean my, my dad, <clears throat> I would say out of my entire uh, life, is the most avid fisherman I've ever met out of anyone. <laughs> so he's he's fishing multiple times a week all year long. Um, and we – my brothers and I, we were not nearly as avid as, as he is, but we've we've gone fishing with him throughout our entire life. So yeah. So the reason I asked you that is I was wondering if you were familiar with a show that aired on ESPN back in it ran for a long time throughout the nineties called Walker's K Chronicles. You ever heard of that? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. You have to check that out. That's there's some yeah. there's some uh I'm sure there's some episodes on YouTube. But it was a very it, – it was one of my favorite outdoor programs of all time. I mean it was just a very – it was a great production value, very thoughtful um, thoughtful commentary. I mean just a great show all around. And yeah. I've, I've always wanted to create something like that mm-hmm. with traditional bow hunting. It's But it's – the problem that you run into is, is funding for one thing is because there's not a lot of money in traditional archery and to have a program like that, it costs, it costs a lot of money. Um, but then the other thing is that it's, it's just so it's, it's so difficult to get that close to those animals with a camera guy. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a hard thing to do, but it's something that I've always wanted to do. And I, I've, I've kind of gotten close a few times on some of my videos, but you know, I want to do something that's, that's more regular with it. Like a, like a regular episode type of thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I mean, I don't know if, if that is 
something that can be done, you know, with hunting because hunting to me, and, and like I said, I'm not a hunter, um, but it seems so irregular, you know, like you, to me, it seems like you go out a lot and then occasionally you have that payoff. So, but it's still just about creating that suspense and creating that tension, which I think yeah. you, you do well because you like talk about, um, you talk about what you're looking for. You're showing sign. You're you're moving. You're talking. You are doing different angles. You're you're talking about how you should see and how you should move and how you should walk. And then, and then when you do see those animals, you know you're capturing what you can. And then, uh, a lot of times, like I said in your videos, I'll watch and and there is no final kill, right? Because it just didn't happen at that point. Um, and and I think that works really well. I like how you're, you kind of mentioned that you had this this vision in mind from um, the Walker's K Chronicles of what you wanted your channel to be like. Cause we, we had that same exact vision when we started, we were like, well, you know, there are these, these other channels that we like, and there's this feeling that comes across on these channels that we want to kind of have that same feeling being in a space. You feel like you're there with the person working, making something uh, you're kind of talking with them. And I think that's where it helps us to have, Devin, which obviously you can tell Devin is <clears throat> Devin's all about the production because that's what his questions go back to. Um, having having him there with me, so he's always kind of just like watching over my shoulder, and I feel like there is someone there with me that I can talk to and I can tell what's going on and my mindset. <clears throat> and that's a uh, it's one of those things that I've I've always been um, impressed with when I know uh, someone is creating a video and they're just by themselves that you're you're talking you have to get in this mindset of you're talking to an audience and not just to the camera sitting there with you i think that is one thing that helps to uh to build that that drama and one of the things i think that works really well i you know i never feel like uh when you're talking it, it always does feel like you're talking to us to the audience um and that's always been really nice it's like very very easy to listen and pay attention and watch because you're building that suspense and you're building that like that connection with the viewers well, good. I'm glad. I'm glad you like. Glad you like it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <clears throat> um, all right. So I have a. I, I mean, I had a whole slew of questions, but we also reached out to uh, Instagram. Some of our followers. Um, I posted. It's funny. I posted um, on Instagram, and then I also posted to the self donation group on. Uh, Facebook and that was like crickets over there. I don't think anyone's using that page anymore, unfortunately, <laughs> but um, yes, yeah, so we had some questions from the followers, which I'd like to ask. And, uh, and thanks for, um, for sending people our way too. I saw that you reposted our, our posts. I appreciate that. No worries. Let's see. All right. So I'm going to go back to my original post first, and then we'll do the more recent one if I can find it. Uh, ba -ba 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 -ba. Let's go here. Let's go here. Okay. Uh, you? No. Um, okay. So the first um, question I had, and actually I'm not sure if this is the first one, but I, I like this one a lot. This is from uh, house underscore underscore work. That's Brian house. Who's actually another YouTuber. Who's a good friend of ours. Um, <clears throat> he said, what's the one thing every aspiring bow maker should keep in mind before making their first bows? What do you think? Maybe we already answered that. 
<laughs> I, yeah, we yeah, I mean, we kind of pro- probably answered that a little bit, but uh, I mean, just to revisit it, um, just have fun, you know, build, start building bows, and and learn, just learn. Uh, mm-hmm. You're going to learn something with every one that you make, and you're going to get better with every one that you make, just like anything. I mean, if you're making a dovetail joint, uh, yeah, I promise you it's not yeah. going to be perfect on the first one, but it might be perfect on the 10th one. So just start. Right. Nice. Yeah, it's funny. When he when he sent that, I sent a message back to him saying that it's a great question on like a maker's perspective because – you know, what, how, what you should, you go into it knowing, I think that's, that's a good overall kind of overarching, um, you know, answer for makers in general, or just, you got to start, you got to do it because mm-hmm. it's not going to be great on the first one. So just try, <laughs> just keep on trying. And eventually you're going to get better. That's why I say, what is it like 10,000 hours to become a master of something, but who knows <laughs> if that's true or not. So, uh, okay. <laughs> Let's see. Um, we have one question that said, what's the best material species for selection? So I know you kind of talked about that a little bit, you know, depending on, it's kind of what you have. Uh, so we'll yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just whatever you can get your hands on. Don't worry about getting the best stuff again. Right. Like, um, you know, if you're making, if you want to start making jewelry boxes or something like that, you're like, you're not going to start with the most expensive exotic wood you can find. You know, you might start with a pine board. Um, right. get your stuff figured out and then you can start working towards that, you know, that, that really fine work. Right. <laughs> right. Right on. That was from, that was from Jay J Dietrich 76. Um, Justin Dietrich, we had him on the podcast. Uh, Ian Ma's projects asks, Nope, never mind. He doesn't ask. He just, he said he doesn't have a question. He just loves Clay's content and has <laughs> and, and been watching him for years. All the best during the podcast. So there you go. Just a little praise for you, Clay. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> the Tradesman Channel says, Can you use Shagbark Hickory Green? Can't wait for this one. You guys are playing in my headphones all day. Great content. Can you use Shagbark Hickory Green? So here's the deal with Hickory. Uh, my only firsthand experience with hickory is with the tight bark varieties. So like, uh, marker nut, uh, pig nut, things like that. Mm-hmm. I don't have any experience with the shag bark, uh, or any of those loose bark hickory varieties. Um, with the, with the close bark varieties, I mean, you can cut that stuff and if you cut it in the spring, you can strip the bark off of it and start on a bow that same day. Um, I I think I said this in my video that actually came out today, but you can rough a bow out with hickory, and then let and then it'll dry a whole lot quicker. Uh, put it in a low humidity environment, uh, and it could be, you know, if you've wanted to force dry, you could do it in probably a week. Um, but you yeah. want to get that moisture content down to I'd say ten percent or less, um, and then before you know, you want to get that moisture content down before you start bending the bow. Right. Um, but as far as shag bark in particular, I couldn't, I couldn't say with any certainty. Gotcha. Just try it. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Get back to that. Just try it. Just give it a shot. Maybe. (laughs) Um, you have a, you have a moisture tester that you have like in your bow shop, the little problems. Yeah. I've just got a, a cheap, moisture meter that I got off Amazon uh, and I use it all the time, you know, when I'm trying to figure out if wood is dry enough or not. All right. 
Uh, we have another, <clears throat> let's see, this is just some more praise, but I'm happy to read it. This is from Mr. Mike makes. He <laughs> says, I changed my whole aiming style because of clay and it's made a huge difference. Just keen to hear you guys chat. So, um, <laughs> I, I feel like I also have changed over the years, uh, specifically after. So I know, and you talked about this a little bit you've obviously talked about it on multiple videos, but, um, the difference between, intuitive shooting and aiming. Um, and I, I think the same as you kind of start out, started out with intuitive shooting. I heard about it and I tried it and it worked okay, but definitely not, I wasn't getting better, you know? And that's, that's kind of was my goal was like, if I'm not getting better then what's the point, right? I should change it up. I should try something different to see if I can get better. Um, <clears throat> and I think I watched a couple of your videos with like talking about anchor point and aiming and, and, you know, uh, correct, um, form and all. And I, I haven't, I would say I haven't switched over completely to aiming, but I've kind of switched halfway between and who knows where I'll go. I'm like I said, I'm, I'm doing a target shooting just to get better at being a better archer. But, um, but I definitely, uh, you know, I've learned a lot and, and just only even, even just pausing, taking that, you know, drawing kind of getting set, pausing for even a second longer and, and, mm -hmm. you know, sighting down the arrow has made a huge difference. I'd say it's, it's definitely made me a, a better shooter, a hundred percent better, even the amount of time that I've done with just that. So even just that pause, that extra second to two seconds of pause to like look down the arrow and see, and try to, I think the biggest thing for me with aiming is that uh, you can make an adjustment, right? You're looking down the tip of your arrow. You can see where that point is, and then you can make an adjustment up or down or left or right or whatever it is based off of your distance. So yeah. I would just, I'm just saying all that. Cause yes, it's also made a difference. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, good. <clears throat> I, I was thinking about it that um, for me, it's kind of a curse. I can, I can hit a target pretty good on intuition most times, but I'm never uh, really good most times. It's kind of like golf. Like if I hit a drive, <laughs> if I hit a drive 10 times and one of them's perfect, I'm like, I kind of know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I got this driving thing down. I don't need any help. <laughs> and that's, that's, uh, I, that's something that I'd said in a previous video is like, you know, we, we tend to kind of discount those ones that, that don't go where exactly where we want them. And then when we get one, right. it ends up in the bullseye. We're like, yes. <laughs> yeah. I know what I'm doing. I got it. I'm set. <laughs> Drop the mic. I'm done. I don't need any more training. <laughs> yeah. I don't need any more clay videos. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next, uh, this is a really good one. I'm, I was wondering about this as well. <clears throat> so this next question is from Giles714. <clears throat> Sorry. And he asks, can a piece of Osage be seasoned too long before making a bow out of it? For example, if some Bodark has been pushed up in a brush pile for a couple of years. Okay. So there's a couple of different things going on here. Um, first, first of all, uh, no, it can't be seasoned for too long. Um, I have some Osage out in my barn that was cut in the mid nineties. And so it's, mm. it's plenty seasoned. Um, it can be too dry. Like if you're in the desert Southwest and you're yeah. in like 
5% humidity. Uh, you could probably drive the moisture content down, you know, to, I don't know, 3% maybe. Right. Um, you'd have to really try to get it too dry. Um, so, so no, it, it can't be too old or too, too seasoned. Um, the other part, uh, if it's pushed up in a windrow or something like that, like somebody was bulldozing a hedgerow or something like that, and it's just pushed up and been out in the weather for years, um, it could be okay. And, but then also it could be, uh, sometimes when Osage is left out like that in, and it gets wet and it gets dry and it's exposed to wind and sun and all that stuff, sometimes it'll develop drying checks or drying cracks up and down mm. the stave. Um, and so it's just something you'd have to go out there and look at, you know, if it go out there and find a couple of straight pieces and, and knock the bark and sap it off and just see what's under there. Um, right. if it's, mm. uh, you know, if those drying cracks go deep, maybe you can get below them. Um, or maybe you can't, It just depends on, you know, how they were, you know, the, the conditions they were under. Right on. <clears throat> Yeah, I thought that as well, or I had I had that kind of same thought when uh, when I was living in Virginia and had that access to the the Osage. There were times because there was apple orchard there, so after ever after a certain amount of years, the <clears throat> excuse me, the farmers would bulldoze that each different parts, different fields on their property. So you kind of push giant piles; they just bulldoze the entire orchard and then replant the next year. So that way you have this cycle of growth. Um, and occasionally there would be Osage in those, you know, they would, they'd be kind of close to the edge of the hedgerow. And since it was planted for hedgerows, they'd pick it up. And I, I, I thought that occasionally, you know, just thinking just as the idea of knowing that, you know, wood left out in the elements is going to do different stuff, right. Cause it's getting wet and dry and wet and dry and it's going to crack and it could have rotten spots and stuff. So <clears throat> I thought that was a good question. <clears throat> All right. Let's see. Uh, this is from Firefit1161. He says, what's the difference between heat bending and steam bending, aside from the obvious? And what type of oil is best to use when heat bending? Is one better than the other for bending white woods or eastern red cedar? Can't wait for the podcast. So, again, difference between heat bending and steam bending. Uh, what type of oil is best? And is one better than the other for bending white woods? and Eastern red cedar. All right. So you're going to have to, uh, I'll, uh, I'll start. <laughs> you can have to remind me of some of the other parts. Um, I'll start with the difference between dry heat and, and steam. Um, so I, when I first started building bows, I used nothing but steam. Um, and now for the past couple of years, I've used nothing but dry heat, uh, from a heat gun. And, the reason that I use dry heat now is because uh, Osage reacts very well to it. Um, I'm confident in my ability to use it, and you can. It's very quick, so I can heat and bend a, sta a, a piece of wood, and as soon as it's cool, I can start on that bow again. I can start bending that mm. thing again. Mm -hmm. The problem or the risk that a beginner can run with dry heat is that if you scorch the wood, um, on the, the back of the bow. So again, the part of the bow that's under tension, if you scorch that, 
um, when you when you scorch wood, you take all of its elasticity away, and you can make that wood prone to breaking. You'll never scorch wood with steam, and so steam mm. for a beginner, I, I would say steam is probably a safer route. Mm. Um, but when you steam wood, you introduce moisture into it, um, and uh, I always felt like I needed to let that wood dry, like for right. a week or two before I started bending it again. I don't know. I have no proof that that is the case. I just, just the way I felt about it. Um, so maybe you could steam recurves in something and then start on it once it's cool. I just never, you know, I always felt like I needed to let it dry. Right. Um, and that's tough when you're in the middle of building a bow, you're like, you're ready to go. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to. You don't want to stop and and let it sit around for a week or two. Right. Um. And as far as the oil goes for dry heat, um, I don't. I I don't even use oil anymore. Uh, I stopped mm. using oil. Um. I just don't need it. Um. Right. I don't. Uh, you know, I used to use it all the time. I think I put that in my. It's in my book. Uh. Maybe even in my DVDs. I don't remember. <laughs> what I put in there. Um, but, uh, no, I haven't used oil in a couple of years. And as long as you're, you just pay attention you know, and make sure that you're not putting a bunch of heat on the back of the bow. Like you can put a bunch of heat on the belly cause the belly's under compression. Um, mm. you can put a bunch of heat on the belly. You can put a bunch on the sides, uh, just avoid putting it on the back and avoid scorching anything that's under tension and, and, and you should be fine. So just kind um, of evenly heating it, you know, doing it slowly, bringing it up to temperature slowly and just keep some pressure on it until it moves and then you should be yeah. good, right? Yeah. And the thing with the thing with bending and I'm sure that that when you were were working on your bow when you start putting a little bit of pressure on that, you were you using a heat gun? I was. Yep. Oh, okay. So so when you're when you're running a heat gun along that Osage and you've got a little you've got your hand on there and you've got some pressure on that bow, it's like you can be heating that limb on the on the the side and the belly side and then the underside and it's like when it gets ready to bend, it just it it like melts. You can yeah. feel it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's 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 really cool the way it the way it happens. Um, yeah. But you got to you know you just just you don't want to go super fast. Like I usually keep my heat gun. I just put it on the highest setting it'll go. And yeah. I keep it about two inches away from the limb and I keep it moving all the time. Never right. stop that thing. Cause you'll scorch the wood. Um, right. and just let it heat through that entire limb and, and just keep a feel on it. And when that thing starts to sag, that's, you know, you'll know it's, it's ready to go. Yeah. Our, yeah. The, our Osage video when for, I remember it's such a long time lapse and it just wasn't moving and wasn't moving. I'm like, ah, should we even have set this time lapse up? And then in the last like two minutes of the time lapse, it just moves the rest of the way. Just you see it bend all the way down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like <clears throat> we had, so I, I made an adjustment. So I made a uh, adjustment in the just outside of the handle on on one of the the fade outs where I wanted to bring the handle back. So that took a little while longer to heat through the handle to get it to bend just a little bit. But then, yeah, we had a, a limb that we just wanted to twist a little bit, and that same thing. It was like it had to go maybe 
I would say, I don't know, maybe 10 degrees or so to twist back. And once it started going, it was like, just went, you know, we had kind of weighed out on it and set it up with a ruler so you could see the movement and it moved, you know, three inches or so in, in no time at all. Once it started moving. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. <clears throat> That's great. All right. Let's see. I have a, I think I have two more questions cause we put up another post today and got a couple more questions. All right. Uh, so this one's from Tectonic. He says, uh, first he says, thanks for this opportunity to ask a question. Uh, my first Osage stave has a crown to it on the back and belly. Should I maintain any of that curvature as I tiller or flatten out the belly? Thanks again. Okay. So, um, depends on how much crown and what kind of bow you want. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll go through a couple of different examples. So if it, let's say you have a tree that's eight inches diameter. So yeah. on an eight inch tree on a inch and a half wide limb, you're going to have a little bit of crown. It's, you know, you'd be completely fine just to have a flat belly on that thing, inch and a half, inch and three quarters wide, whatever, you know, however wide you want it. Um, right. and you're going to be fine. Uh, you take a, let's say a four inch diameter tree and you've got a lot more crown. Um, mm. and, and for those, for your listeners who might not know what crown is, you know, it's just basically the, the outside, uh, or the back of the bow is going to be facing towards the outside of the tree. It's just that curvature of the, the outside of the tree. Right. Um, that's probably not a very good explanation, but it's going to, it's close enough. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. You're following that growth ring and the growth rings are a circle. So you got to imagine that's the, that's the outside of that circle. Yes. Yes, exactly. So the, there's a really cool bow design that you can make with a, with a high crowned stave or or a stave or a bow from a small diameter tree like that. And it's called a hollow limb design. Mm -hmm. Um, and so basically what you would do is, um, say if you had a tree that was four inches or a stave that came from a, a tree that was four inches diameter, <clears throat> you'd make it, you know, maybe make your limb inch and a half wide or so. And you'd take like a gooseneck cabinet scraper. So you'd flatten the belly out first. And then through your tillering, you'd take your gooseneck cabinet scraper and start hollowing that limb out. Um, and so your belly is actually a concave which mirrors the 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 um the the curvature of the back or the crown on the back it's a really cool design uh, and sounds awesome. uh, <laughs> yeah i mean they're, they're, yeah. they're awesome looking bows and you can make use of uh some of those really small diameter trees using that technique it's it's pretty cool so because you because <clears throat> you don't have the width to be able to to narrow it because then you would you'd come up across getting the sides of each limb really narrow you would just cut yeah. in to the inside to creating that hollow on the inside All right. yeah so the problem you know the problem with small diameter staves is if you go i'm going to try to explain i don't know if i'm going to be able to do this or not. <laughs> if you go wide say say you go two inches wide well you the 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 crown the edges of those limbs are going to be super super thin and the crown right at the center part of that limb running up and down the limb is going to be super high 
And mm-hmm. so what that does is it, cre- it, you know, that back is under tension. And so the higher that crown is and the steeper that, that, um, or the smaller that diameter is, it just forces all of that tension right along that crest, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and makes, a you know, makes that, that highest part of that crown, the part that withstands all that tension. And most of the time it just won't do it. You know, it just, it'll come apart. It'll break. Right. And so by making a hollow limb design like that, you can distribute that because that thing, when that, when that bow flexes, it not only flexes, um, in the direction that you're pulling the string, but it also kind of, it, it, it'll cup if that makes sense mm. that those sides will come in a little bit. Mm, okay. Yeah. It makes sense. Cause when you're making a flat bow, the reason why you make a flat, bow, the reason why the flat bow design is there is because you want to spread out that tension over a flat, you know, wider surface. So you're getting yes. tension across the back of the bow. Yes. Um, as opposed to like a D bow where, you know, or like a long bow made out of you where you can, the contention and compression is, can be narrowed, I guess. Um, but that makes sense. Yeah. As you kind of have that, that cupping shape. So the, the inner, the, the belly of the bow that faces you is now following the same curvature as the back of the bow. It's now yes. spreading that tension across the back of the bow. That's crazy. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. That's fascinating. <laughs> Cool. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, used. Um, so the, the, the tradesman channel, he asked, he also asked another question. He said, what species can be used green? Um, and I, I know you kind of answered that a bit against, uh, specifically for hickory, but, and I guess I'll, I'll let you go. So what species could be used green? So the only two I have, have only, first hand experience with two species green that's uh some of the different hickories and then also uh eastern red cedar um eastern red cedar is or or any of the junipers rocky mountain juniper common juniper any of that stuff it, it's grows everywhere anybody can right. get their hands on juniper it doesn't matter where you're at um, <laughs> right that stuff you can cut it um you can work it green. And again, I would wait for it to dry before you really start bending on it. So it doesn't take a lot of set. Um, but with juniper and Eastern red cedar is it, it, it's, it it is a juniper. Um, they make really, they, they'll make a good bow. You just got to back them with something. Um, rawhide, sinew, uh, bamboo, you know, any of that stuff will make good backing Mm -hmm. for those bows, but it's, uh, it's something, another one of those woods that's easier to get your hands on, uh, and, and will make a good bow. Yeah. Our, my buddy, Sean, who took the class with us when we took it back in 2013, uh, he made a bow out of Eastern red cedar, backed it with, um, with sinew and it, it split on him. <laughs> and he, when he joined us on the podcast early on and he told that, uh, as his disaster story, which I'll get to, uh, we'll get to you eventually. But, um, it, you know, just had, I think he shot it five or six times, you know, tillered it all the way down. Everything was bending really nice. It was all looking really good. And he was making it for, as, as a gift for his, uh, um, I think maybe his father-in-law or something, but, um, yeah, it just ended up exploding on him. So that's that's my only experience with Eastern Red Cedar. I was just like, oh, it seems it's just seems even just watching him work on it, it seems so brittle compared yeah. to 
other bow woods that I've used. It's definitely a, it, it's a brash wood. It's a, yeah. um, it'll break your heart. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I like that. Um, all right. The last question I have is uh, how far in do you typically cut your arrow shelf? Um, I, well, it really depends on the, on the bow or the stave. Um, I have cut them past center. Um, and that one video that you were referring to earlier, uh, where I had the one bow that like, um, just had the right curvature to where you could get a a center shot bow out of it. You know, that, I don't know. I I don't know that I could really answer that question. Um, (laughs) I did a video, I think it might be on my DVD set. I think it is. Maybe I don't remember. It's it's either there (laughs) on my Patreon site um, where I talk about like for a given stave or for a given bow, how much can you get away with? Like how far can you go in before you start like running up against the risk of, you know, breaking something. Um, But I don't shoot for like, you know, one eighth inch from center or anything like that. I just kind of cut them to wherever the stave that or that particular stable allow me to do it. Right. I think that <clears throat> that is because you're making it out of a piece of natural wood. You're not doing laminate, um, you know, long bows that are laminate that, you know, are perfectly straight. So if you have a perfectly straight piece of wood, that's a long bow, then you can say, I'm going to cut it in. Like you said, this distance every time because you have that much. Yeah. But when you're working with a, a, a piece of wood that, could bend all over the place. Every single piece is, every single bow is going to be different. Yeah. And, um, I read, so I'm going to bring this back to your quote from the beginning (laughs) of the podcast, but, um, I read a, I read another, uh, quote from, uh, Paul Shepard on a book called tender, tender carnivore and the sacred game. And no, it was, I don't remember. You know what? You're going to have to edit that out. I don't remember. <laughs> that was anyway. Um, oh, there's I no editing here. We just keep on going. <laughs> <laughs> I'd read a quote somewhere uh, that was talking about the cave paintings in France and how how those those people used the features of the cave to, you know, that their paintings weren't just like random on the wall. It's like they used uh, big forms in the cave and they painted Uh, those and they, it's like it worked together. Right. Right. Yeah. And Uh. that's so, it's such a great analogy for bow building because bow building is from a, from a natural stave anyway, it's, it's like a meeting between what's given in the wood and what you create. And that Mm -hmm. goes right back to what you were just talking about, you know, with the particular staves or whatever stave you're working with. It's like you just you look at that thing and you try to figure out what you can get out of it and you work with that stave, you know, instead of trying to to force that thing into, you know, what your idea of what it should be. You know, it's that's a recipe for failure. You just need to look at that thing and work and go with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, Definitely. That's, that's that. To wrap that up on 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 the production side, sometimes you have a a picture or a something in your head that you think you're going to get, and and the footage just doesn't 
doesn't make it. So then you have to start to reevaluate and rework it. Um, I think I, I put that up about how I did a whole uh, section of editing and it just wasn't working. And I, I tried to force it. I kept trying to force it and it just didn't work. So I started over and then re- reworked it. Sometimes you just have to, you got to work with what you, what you got and don't try to always enforce your will upon it. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so before we get to your disaster story, I have one more question and just because it just came to my mind relating to that. Um, so the difference between kind of following the grain of Osage and following or not following the grain of other woods, um, something like hickory. When, when we took that, that bow making class, um, we started out with staves that were split down. We kind of found a center line. We drew out all our measurements and then, Kirk, who was teaching class, he'd like take the stave into the wood shop and he just bandsawed, cut out, you know, straight lines down the hickory without looking at, uh, without looking at the grain at all. Is that, is there a difference between that in woods specifically? I would say like between hickory and Osage where following the grain, the, 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 the snakiness, the curviness of the grain, is there a potential or not, or, or, or would it be basically, with any wood, if you have, if you follow the grain, it's, it's going to be stronger. Well, I think with any wood, I mean, just like with an ax handle, you know, if you have an ax handle that follows the grain and it's steam bent, like that's going to be a superior handle to one that's cut out on a saw. Um, but the big difference there is that most of the white woods are just, they just grow straight. Uh, Osage does not grow straight. (laughs) I mean, it is a gnarly, gnarly tree um and so that that's the big difference um but again if you had a hickory you know if if for some reason you had a hickory with a bunch of spiral grain and you sawed a stave out of that you you could probably still make a bow out of that because hickory is just so obstinate and tough Um, (laughs) but you're going to end like if you found a you know a a tree with a straighter grain uh, or followed the grain you're going to end up probably with something that's going to be better. Right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, um, when you know, we finished more recently finished the hickory bow video and I had a lot of people commenting like, oh, that's, you know, that's not going to work. You didn't follow the grain. You just cut straight lines. I was like, well, that's true. I did just cut straight lines and, and I'm sure there was something there, but really like, you know, I, I was kind of going, like you said, there was, it's pretty much straight, you know, so I'm just kind of tapering down to the ends of the tips. Um, but you know, just the grain follows the the length of the, of the hickory at that point. So, yeah, um, I mean, there, you're, you, you know, as long as your grain f- follows that limb pretty well and it doesn't like, you know, if you don't have cross grain that, that crosses the whole limb, like right. within eight or 10 inches, you're probably pretty good. Right, right, right. And if they want to come over and shoot it and see that it shoots, they can. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> because it works just fine. It's a very, a very. <laughs> it's working okay. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't shot a ton, so I can't really judge quite <laughs> yet. But <laughs> I don't know if you, if you saw that video, Clay. But at the end, Devin goes, "All right, to make it, we'll try to bring the tension." He's like, "I'll bet you five dollars." that you can't like hit the middle of the target or whatever in the first shot. And so I was like, okay, so we actually put it in the video and then I like completely missed, 
the the little target that I set up <laughs> shot right like through the top of it went straight over. I still haven't paid them in those five bucks yet, but we'll see. <laughs> uh, um, all right, so I'd like to ask you, and this is something that I like to ask all of our guests, is uh, to to relate to us or tell us a disaster story. So something where you know you were making something and it just it just completely failed and you had to start over. How'd that work out for you? Yeah, I can do that. Um, I've had a lot of those. Um, so the biggest, like I've broken, I mean, if you make bows, you're just, you're going to break bows, you know, um, yep. it's just part of learning. And so I've broken a lot of them over the years. Um, but I guess the prob probably the most spectacular failure I've <laughs> ever had with a bow also was an Eastern red cedar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and this was a bow. I mean, that's a, it's a great wood. It's a very, it makes a very fast, snappy shooting bow, yeah. but it's like, it is volatile, man. It yeah. will absolutely explode. And when I say yeah, explode, that, I mean, freaking like since shrapnel. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I had, uh, I had a, had a Eastern red cedar longbow and it was sinew backed and I'd shot it a lot. And I actually had killed a deer with this bow. Um, oh, and wow. so I'd, you know, I'd, I'd shot it thousands of times. And for some reason I put it back up on my tillering rack. Um, and when I was, this was when I lived in Mississippi and I had basically, it was just a two by four, mm -hmm. uh, lag bolted to the side of a tree and, you know, I had a little cradle in there so I could hold the bow up there. Right. Uh, so I put the bow in there and drew it and it exploded when I got to full draw <laughs> and it went, it went into about five different pieces. I think the farthest one landed about 20 feet away. Jeez. It sounded like, it sounded like a, a, a 357 going off. I mean, it was just, <laughs> and uh, the only thing, so I, I thought about it later. I was like, the only thing that I could think that would have caused it to do that is um, Eastern red cedar is a soft wood. You can dent it with your, um, with your thumbnail, you know? And I think what happened is when I set it on that two by four, the edges of that two by four dented the belly of the bat, that bow and created a fault line, which oh, allowed man. the belly to fail. And that's what caused that bow to fail. Um, oh, so if I had had that, if I'd had that tiller and rack padded, that probably wouldn't have done that. But, um, uh, I mean, I've talked to other bow makers and I've seen, I've watched videos. There was a video on Facebook a little while back where a guy was in a, in a, a, a archery range with a bunch of other people around and had drawn, he was shooting his, uh, red cedar bow and it did the same thing, but he was shooting <laughs> it at the time. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's a, it's a good wood. You just got to be cautious about it. Right. So <laughs> you said that you think it dented the belly and you had it up in a two by four. So it was not, was it not on the handle or was it like, well, I didn't, it a, that, that's, Debo, I didn't or? have a, I didn't have a handle. It was just a, it was like a, an English longbow style. It was a bend through the gotcha. handle style of bow. Mm, got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Well, it's if crazy. Gonna, if you're going to shoot one of those, don't have any sons or beloved family members around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wear glasses. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, I think uh, when my buddy Sean, when his broke, it the top limb hit him right in his cheekbone, and he had this like big, big, big <laughs> knot on his cheek, which he took a picture and posted it. He was like, oh, "I just broke my bow." <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, <clears throat> well, we've gotten we've gotten to the end, and this is where we like to uh, to do some recommendations, videos, or books, or whatever something that we like. Um, Devin, you have a recommendation. You want to start us off? Yeah, I'll go back to um, uh, Stephen Ranella's show, Meat Eater, and I know I've recommended uh, recommended before, but he, he, their new season just came out on Netflix, and it's such a good show, and I love the way he hunts. I love the way it looks and the way he narrates, but they're still <laughs> stuck in this 30-minute formula, this TV formula, where it's a 30-minute show, but then you have commercials, so it's down between 22 to 25 minutes. So he, <laughs> It's terrible. He, he did this nine-day uh, rafting trip through Alaska, and it's a 22-minute episode. <laughs> Like, how does that make any sense? You know you have hundreds of hours of footage. You cannot make a 22-minute video. I mean, you can. He has. <laughs> I, I, I love the show so much. It's just such a – I feel like it's such a wasted you – could, you could do a whole series. You could do a, a every day as a, its own video, but what are you going to do? <laughs> I like how you're uh, – you're your recommendations come with like a caveat. You're like, I like this, but not this part about it. No, that's funny how you've done it before. I like it, but it could be so much better. <laughs> I, I, like, I just, how does anyone I get in under like 25 minutes? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the video we have on the knife that I'm doing now, it's already 40 minutes, but maybe that's what you can do. I think uh, is a bit more successful than we are. <laughs> Clay, do you have a uh, you have a recommendation for us? Um, as far as bow building goes, I mean the the traditional bow your Bible they've got a whole series that's that's mm -hmm. great. Um, yeah. I mean that's where I've got started. There's a, there's a bunch of great information in there. Right on. Yeah, I actually. Uh... <clears throat> So again, my buddy, Sean, he and I kind of got into bow making equally and we've shot a lot together. Um, there's actually the course, the, the park near us where we took our class has a, <clears throat> like a, a woods range. That's like, you know, like a, a whole track through the woods that I think it has 18 targets um, and it's completely free. So he and I have shot there hundreds of times, um, but he, uh, he <clears throat> moved out to Seattle a bunch of years ago and then while they were out there they he and his wife they built a tiny house and when they moved in their tiny house they had to make the kind of you know cut out a bunch of stuff that they had in life so he had the whole series that his wife had gotten in the traditional spoil boyer's bible and uh and sent me the whole series so i have that now <clears throat> it's a good one excellent so uh my recommendation is Again, I mentioned this earlier, but when I started um, looking up bow making and um, <clears throat> really doing some research online, there were a couple of different videos that came into uh, that that I came across. And obviously, your videos, you know, all your series on Osage, all all your videos I watched. Um, <clears throat> but uh, the other one of the other ones that I watched, which I thought was pretty cool, um, I liked the way it worked, was um, Dave Canterbury. 
he had a, a kind of a quick series and he's done all sorts of different stuff on on self-reliance and bushcrafting and all that but <clears throat> he had a kind of a nice series of doing a, a bow a kind of a short osage bow and he used he kind of had this like clamp in the woods he he did everything outdoors so it was kind of like how do you take this thing that it was already he had already uh chased a growth ring so it was already prepped that way but he he worked it down and and tillered it and all out in the woods which is pretty cool um and the other so uh, that's one of my recommendations if you're interested check out his and that's that's I think just an interesting video to watch um <clears throat> but also there's a series of videos and I will post a link to one of them that actually has it all in, in one go, but it's um, an interview with Ed Scott. Uh, and that was, I got a lot of information from that interview online. So Ed Scott is a, another boyer um, who's an older guy. I'm, <clears throat> I'm not even sure if he's still alive or not, but I know that um, there's a great interview and had all sorts of really awesome information. So those are my two recommendations, both, uh, Dave Canterbury's video on bow making and then Ed Scott, the interview that was with Ed Scott all about bow making as well. Yeah. That was a good video. Yeah. What was that, Dev? Um, yeah, no, I was just going to say, Clay, where can we find you and hear you and read your book? Uh, just Google Clay Hayes and you, you'll find it. Um, <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's at Clay Hayes Hunter on Instagram and Facebook and then uh, Clay Hayes on YouTube and then my website where the books and DVDs are, that's uh twistedstave.com. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, <clears throat> and uh, Clay, I can't thank you enough for joining us and for hanging in there with us through all the technical difficulties. Cause that was, <laughs> that was crazy. I was like, this guy's just <laughs> at one point you're like, all right, give me a second. I'm just trying to log out and maybe I'll log back in. And it was like a few minutes and he was like, I told him, he just left us. He's done. He was like, all right, I'll be back. You're done. <laughs> At that point, it was like an hour and a half in of us trying to work it out. So we got, we got really podcast ghosted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> podcast ghosted. <clears throat> all right. Yeah. So I appreciate you. It's been, it's been a blast, man. I really appreciate it. And, and your knowledge, I was the last, last thing I'll say is I was watching your video today on, um, on tuning your bow and just, your knowledge of like how to tune the bow and how to tune the arrows and all the information. I was just like sitting there with my mouth open. Like this is insane. How much knowledge you have about bow making. It's I'm still impressed. I still watch stuff. I'm like, man, this is, it's crazy. I love it. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, uh, thank you guys all so much for listening. Um, thank you to all of you who um, sent in questions. Um, I appreciate it. And Clay, I appreciate you you answering all those for us. That was, that was cool. I'm sure our listeners will get a kick out of it and get all sorts of awesome information. This has been a great episode. Yep, I Devin, <clears throat> thank you so much. Devin, I appreciate sure. uh, you and hanging in there and everything we had to do to get it working today, but we got it working. Yeah, this is this um, is strange off off the phone and Clay's yeah. off the phone. So so who knows? <laughs> Hopefully it sounds okay, folks. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, you guys, um, you can find us as well, the Art of Craftsmanship on YouTube um, and Instagram. And Devin has an Instagram now as well, relatively new. You can find him, <laughs> the Art of Camera Guy. So at the Art of camera guy uh, check him out you guys can find us on the makery network um, online which is makery.network as well as some a lot of awesome other podcasts of makers go check us out there 
And, um, and then also, you know, same thing with clay. If you guys, if you guys want to support clay and what he does in traditional bow making, go check him out on Patreon. Um, go support him there. He's got all sorts of great stuff on Patreon that you can have access to. And same thing with our channel. If you want to support us and you like this content that you're getting and you like us to hang out and try to troubleshoot so we can get some good people on the podcast and on the end uh, and give you some good <laughs> videos, you can go support us as well on Patreon. That's all we got. All right, Clay, Devin, both of you. I really appreciate everything you guys did hanging out with us today. Um, it's been a blast. And we will talk to you all next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.